I don't say this at every church that I go to, but this is one of my favorite churches to visit. It's true. And uh, I don't know if anyone in this church uses YouTube, probably no one, right? Uh, but uh, every time I u- go onto YouTube to watch some really enlightening video, it says, don't you really want to watch the video of Jenna Renee singing the song Yahweh? And I'm like, yeah, that's actually what I want to watch. And uh, so even YouTube knows how much I love the harbor and how much I appreciate uh, getting to listen to Jenna Leno. Um, <sighs> so here we are in the midst of a series working through the book of Luke Acts, uh, thought to be one, originally one body of literature uh, with one author. And we're asking ourselves the question, a sermon series titled, The Holy Spirit, Our Unsung Hero. And I just want to buy a roast beef sandwich for the person who came up with this sermon title. I don't know if it was Brian or the prophetic team or the elders or who, it, who is responsible for the sermon title, but you could not have come up with a better and more provocative sermon title. Because calling the Holy Spirit the unsung hero forces us to ask a couple of things of ourselves. It makes us ask, have we valued, have we honored, have we shown esteem and respected the activity of the Spirit of God? It's, it's making us ask, have we known this person who is so central to the New Testament? Have we really known that Spirit of God? And even at a more mystical level, it's making us ask, have we sung the songs of the Holy Spirit? Who the Holy Spirit is to us. Is he a person who is sung or yet unsung in the songs of this church and the songs of our heart? And so to that end, we are going to look today at the person of the Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit? And we're going to be looking at the activity of the Spirit of God. What is he doing in these charismatic gifts in Acts 2? And what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to bring this unusual thing called conviction in the hearts of people all over the world. All right. Uh, and so some of you guys uh, might be new to this whole teaching deal on the Holy Spirit, but lots of you, uh, lots of you are saying, oh, this is old hat. I've heard this sermon. Church I grew up at, we preached on the Holy Spirit every, every day, you know, every Sunday, right? Um, but I, yeah, every day, right? You wish. Um, but I just want to talk about it this way, because when we've been exposed to something for a long time, we can tend to approach it as a connoisseur. And what is a connoisseur? So uh, you can imagine a wine connoisseur. When he approaches a glass of wine, he's wanting to experience it. And he's putting his face right down in the glass and sipping the wine and sort of slurping and gargling it and feeling it on his tongue. The connoisseur is tuned in to the experience of wine. And he values wine. He loves wine. He honors wine. But he's applying his own sort of schematic to it. He's applying his own vocabulary to the wine. And he's saying, this is good. This is not so good. This, these are the points of this wine. These are its unique flavors, right? And, and, and I think God would be honored if we approached our encounters with the Holy Spirit among God's people in that way. I think that does honor God. We're tuned in to the expression of God at the very least. But guys, there is a place of deeper knowledge about wine than the wine connoisseur experiences. Even in his deep analysis of this glass of wine, there's something he might not necessarily have. 
And it's a knowledge of the source of this glass of wine. It's a deeper kind of knowledge than just experiencing what's in the cup is the source of the wine. Where did it come from and what is its origin? And can we be a people like that here at the Harbor Community of Faith? Where we don't just get tuned into the expression in other people or in the body of Christ. We don't just get tuned in to the story even of the New Testament. And we don't just get keyed in to what's happening to us. But that even in the midst of encountering the Holy Spirit, we're saying, what is the source? Who is the origin of what we are experiencing in the Spirit of God? Because we need to hunger for the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible doesn't seem to at all present the gifts of the Spirit as something that we want to understand intellectually. So we're going to hunger for the gifts of the Spirit, hunger to encounter the Spirit of God. But at the same time, we must be a people who seek out the person of the Holy Spirit because we're desperate to know God. And for some of you, this actually is a new thing to be hearing at church every week someone talking about the Spirit of God, to be talking about the Holy Spirit and His activity. That is something new for some of you. And if, like me, when I was hearing this for the first time, your first thing that you think about is those big-haired televangelists on that weird cable TV channel. And like, hey, we, it's okay to laugh at that. Uh, I'm sure they, uh, they look at their own 80s TV performances and think some of the same things. And, uh, and those people are probably actually great people. But what's going on on TV, if you're not a Christian and watching it, seems a little bit terrifying. In particular, uh, when the televangelist gets up and they're like, it's time to receive the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he lines up 10 people on stage in front of 10,000 people in an auditorium and in front of millions of people on TV and says, I'm going to pray for you and you're going to have this particular experience. I can remember watching things like that and thinking, oh my gosh, this is all about social pressure. It's all about social pressure. That you, you put people in a situation like that, they're going to feel so much social pressure that even if they are not experiencing something, they're going to feel like they have to fake it. And so in my heart and in my expectation, there was a fear that anytime Christians talked about the Holy Spirit, that that is what was going to happen to me. That they were going to put social pressure on me to make me feel like I had to do something or feel like I had to say something. And I was worried that I would not be able to do it and be fully sincere. But I just want to tell you what Sean Richmond told me on my second service that I'd ever been to as a college freshman. He said, hey, welcome to CFCF. This is a safe place to explore the person of the Holy Spirit. This is a safe place to explore the activity of the Holy Spirit. And man, he was telling the truth. And what he meant when he said that it was a safe place, he says that this is a place where the people of God are being authentic in going after the Holy Spirit. And this is a place where you can be authentic too, free from any pressure. Man, we love the Holy Spirit. We want everyone to encounter him, but this is a safe place to seek out all that the Holy Spirit has. And why is it so important to emphasize the authenticity? I think it's, it's a bigger deal now than it's ever been. 
Anyone who read the news this week, some people in, uh, in England scraped data off of Facebook in order to do what? They wanted to do social engineering. It's the killer app in 2018 that we're going to gather social information about people and then we're going to make them do something that makes them feel something that makes them do something. In this case, they were, they were manipulating people to a political end. That's what's highly valued in our culture. And we possess the ability to reverse engineer that kind of a thing. They were like, oh, we want everyone in church to do this thing. So we're going to reverse engineer it and start over here and we'll, we'll make them do it. And how many of you know that that is not the way that the Holy Spirit of God operates? How many of you know that that is not the way the Spirit of God operates? That we come together and we create a beautiful atmosphere of welcome and worship. But we do not manipulate people into any expression that we want them to. And guys, I just want to say, the people that I I was friends with, a group of people that came up here to the North Shore uh, to start this church, and it was as if you guys had kind of picked through who was in the college ministry at that time and taken the most humble and most authentic people and brought them up here. So I know, without having gone to this church for 10 years, that this is a community of people that values that kind of authenticity. And when you look left and you look right during response time, you'll know that this is a safe place. To encounter the Spirit of God. All right, so um, I'm going to try and bring it down from the abstract and bring you in here a little bit uh, to my own personal life. Uh, So where we're living in North Africa, it's an Islamic dictatorship uh, of which there are many in the world. Our particular Islamic dictatorship has about 33 million people living in it. 99.99% Muslim. It's a very lost world that we're living in. And, uh, and I would say after 10 years there, one of the things that has broken my heart so deeply uh, for the people who live there and just, it just brought such a great sadness, a godly sadness observing this, is that um, when you look at religion in the place where we live and, and you, when you look at religion all over the world, what is it that makes religion go? In a lot of places in the world. What is it that drives the behavior of people? And when I look at it at the very bottom of it. It's human systems of manipulation and control. That make religion go in our country. And guys guess what? Religions that are built that way are growing. It's not like we can say those manipulation and control systems are, 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 are just a, a joke. Because all over the world. Other religious systems, other political systems are growing because they're based on fear. They're based on power. They're based on shame. They're based on guilt. Based on social pressure. Guys, this is a real fact about the world we live in. And can you see the way that that would make the heart of God so sad? Can you see the way that that would make the heart of God so sad? And I can remember being up on my roof in Morocco crying out to God about the lostness of the people I was among and the way that they were held in bondage by this principle that one person can make this other person live in conformity to a set of rules. About how this tribe of people can bring that one family by force into the herd. 
and do what everyone else is doing. Because guys, we lose track sometimes of just how unique Jesus is among all the religions of the world. Because what he promises is so incredibly different, so totally distinct from everything else that's out there. Every social system, every political system, every, every economic system, every phil- philosophical ideal. Because Jesus says that God himself through the Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you. And that you're not going to need some society system to make you do the things of God. That you don't need a group of people who are going to sit on you until you obey the law. Jesus didn't just bring us a better version of the Ten Commandments. He brought us eternal life. And he said that God would live inside of us. Okay? And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, yes, we're talking about God. Yes, we're talking about these beautiful expressions. But never lose track Of the fact that when we talk about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's an alternative to the way that religion works everywhere in this broken world. And so when when I pray for our country, what what is one of my deepest prayers? I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the leaders in our city, on the house churches in our city. Because that's what it's going to take for people to break from the mold. To get out from under the shame and pressure in their society and have real life on the inside, free from pressure. Do you want to get some of that today? All right. And and before we get into our text, Acts 2, I just want to, um, I just want to talk about who is the Holy Spirit. If you're here today... And you're wondering what on earth we're talking about, who is the Holy Spirit. I just want to give you an introduction to my friend, the Holy Spirit. So let's start at the beginning. God, man who loves God. God, he created the universe. All the stars and planets, all of nature was made by God. And he filled it with purpose and meaning. He made mankind. And Jesus... He was the living, physical expression of God on earth. The words of Jesus were the word of God among men. He was near to us. You could shake his hand. You could look him in the eye. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross paying the price of sin for everybody. And he rose from the dead to show that he really was God. And before he went up to heaven... He said this, he said, I'm going to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said about the Holy Spirit. He said that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us all of the truth about God. That he would have this inward function of showing us what God is like. Second, he said that the Holy Spirit would convict the whole world. That he would convict all of us as the church, but beyond the church, the Holy Spirit would have an have an activity in convicting the whole world. Third, the Holy Spirit would live inside of us forever. Jesus said, I will, I will give you a comforter who will be with you forever. That the Holy Spirit would live inside of us forever. And the most mind-blowing thing that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit is he said that being filled with the Holy Spirit was better 
than physically being with Jesus. And I mean, I literally have the hardest time trying to get my head around that. And I'm like, I'm like, you're telling me that it would be better to be filled with the Spirit than to like physically sit down and eat the Last Supper with Jesus. That it would be better than that. Or it'd be better than sitting on a rock on a hillside listening to Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount. No, way beyond that, it would be better. Or think about it, it would be better than sitting down in the upper room with Jesus having him wash your feet. This would be better, being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, it is better that I go to heaven so that you can be filled with this Holy Spirit. All right, let's look at our passage, Acts 2, 1 through 7, 38 through 39, and 42 through 47. This is the Bible's original revival meeting. Why are we into the Holy Spirit? Well, we are about to find out when we dig into Acts 2. Man, would the unsung hero be sung in our midst today? All right. It says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That's all of the countries that had Jews living in them. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And so they hear them speaking in in these other tongues, and they're hearing them speak in their own languages, the marvels of God. And Peter stands up in the midst of this confused crowd, and he preaches a message, a contextual message to the Jewish worldview, saying this is why Jesus died. And listen to what his invitation is at the end. This is how he's calling them to respond. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. So the, the Holy Spirit had been poured out about 20 minutes before this. And Jesus is like, hey, it's for you too. Peter's saying, it's for you too. And then look what happens to this new community that gets formed. 3,000 people saved in a day. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day, they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who are being saved. Man. And uh, I really get into reading the the children's illustrated Bible with my kids in the morning. My my daughter's really into the story of Samson. Uh, I don't know what your kids get into. But but the book of Acts, right here in Acts 2, is I think one of the most difficult things to illustrate in the whole... Uh, of scripture because there's so much happening and the, and the descriptions are like 
really hard to get your head exactly around. And so if you look it up on Google, you're like, I want an illustration of what's happening here in Acts 2. Uh, you'll come up with some where the, where the apostles are all standing there in a line going, Ooh, and they've got these little party hats of like the Holy Spirit fire on them right here. Uh, but my favorite illustrations are the one where the Holy Spirit's kind of coming in the window like this, this like, this serpenty flamethrower like, and he's reaching around like getting this guy on the head and reaching around to get that guy on the head. <laughs> hey, you've got to sing the unsung hero today. Holy Spirit flamethrower, it's going to happen. All right. <laughs> And why do I love that image of him sort of reaching around to grab the guy in the back of the room? Because the, the, the tongues of fire divided and went on every single person. It wasn't one pillar of fire in the desert for one people of God anymore. The tongues of fire divided on every single man and woman in that room. It was an all play. The people of God being empowered at once. All right. And so if we want to sing the unsung hero today, let's look at what is happening here and say who is doing it. Because we have a great tradition in Christianity of focusing on Bible heroes. Hey, what is King David doing? Hey, what is King Solomon doing? What is Peter doing? What is Jesus doing for Pete's sake? Right? Okay. But what is the Holy Spirit doing? Who is doing what in this passage? So we look at the fire. Obviously, the Holy Spirit's responsible for that. The rushing wind and the sound. Obviously, again, the Holy Spirit. The miraculous speaking in tongues. That seems like an obvious one. The Holy Spirit is doing that. But then it starts to get a little bit more complicated, right? The preaching of, of Peter. Is that something human? Is that something of the Holy Spirit? But check it out. Even before Peter gets up, these guys are already hearing a direct communication in a sense. As direct as it can get for the Holy Spirit. As these guys are speaking in tongues, they're speaking in intelligible languages by the people hearing it. And the Spirit is bringing a message directly across, in a sense. Peter gets up and he also preaches a message. And it says that the people are cut to the heart. Now, as somebody who preaches sometimes in churches, like, like preacher, Peter's a good preacher. But people being cut to the heart is not the product of good preaching. Amen? Being cut to the heart is not the product of good preaching. It's the product of the Spirit's conviction. And so we see they're cut to the heart. And this is like super vivid language. You imagine someone like sawing away with a dull knife on the hearts of the people. Because they say, what must we do? What must we do? It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's been poured out on them. And now, if we really want to give the Holy Spirit some credit, let's look at this next section here, Acts 2, 42 through 47. You might be looking at that and saying, hey, it's a beehive of activity. It's a beehive of activity. That's when the people are really getting involved. You've got 3,000 people doing ministry. That's where the people are involved. No, let's give the Holy Spirit some credit here. What was the ministry model that the disciples are using before this chapter? Like, what is their church setup? What is their church strategy? Well, the church strategy is pretty simple. It's a very popular one in the persecuted world. It's called hide indoors. So they go, this is their church strategy. They go and they hide indoors so that the Jews will not come and kill them. And they wait indoors for physical Jesus to show up at the meeting. And this is not a bad strategy. This is not a bad strategy because Jesus is showing up physically at these meetings. So she's walking in the door, being with them physically, and that's all that they are doing from, we can, from what we can tell in Scripture. 
okay? And, uh, and Jesus, before he goes up to heaven, he gives them a new directive, which is to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. So essentially he's saying, keep doing what you're doing, but in this other place. The disciples are like, phew, this is really all we know how to do. Hide from the Jews indoors and wait. And so this time, instead of waiting for physical Jesus to show up, it's the Holy Spirit that they're waiting for. And the Holy Spirit is poured out just as we just read, right? Okay, but what is different here in Acts 2, 42 through 47? It's a slightly different ministry model, you might say, right? And it's not just because there are more people there. Everything we see in the church today, why don't we put the, the slide right up there. So everything we see in the church today, almost every ministry, almost every activity of the church, all of a sudden is happening. We'll have the band come up as I, I continue to go through this. But everything that was happening, all of a sudden, guys, this was a group of people who only knew how to hide out during persecution and wait for Jesus. Suddenly they're out in the streets teaching in the temple selling their stuff for each other. It was a radical transformation of the activity of God's people. And I think the only explanation that makes sense is to give credit where credit is due to the unsung hero in this story. It's the Holy Spirit. I just got through talking about how what's different about Christianity, what's different about Jesus from every system in the world is that Jesus works on the inside and gives us a passion to do the things of God. And what he's doing is the opposite of what we call the law, which makes us do something in order to be a part of something. And that's what's happening in the church. 3,000 people are saved and 50 new ministries started because the Holy Spirit had brought the life of God and the conviction of God into his people. And so if what we're hungry for is the activity of the Holy Spirit, there are many things that we're going to ask him for. We're going to ask to know God. We're going to ask to know the Holy Spirit. And we're going to ask to experience his charismatic gifts. Hey, you could ask God to, to bring the flamethrower at you. You know, whatever it is that you seek for God and the experience it gives to the Holy Spirit, being hungry honors our unsung hero. But I also want to talk about this conviction this inward activity of the Holy Spirit, because it's possible for it to go numb. It's possible for it to, to go quiet in us. And I just want to tell a, a real quick story. Uh, it's so simple at times to, 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 just, to just sort of stifle the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the more we do that, the more we, we become kind of dead to the activity of the Holy Spirit and conviction. But if we want to be the Acts 2 church, we don't want to be the hiding Acts 1 church anymore then we're going to need this conviction to be more and more active in us as we know the Holy Spirit. So here's a quick story from my life. So my son, as you guys know, uh, some of you read our updates, uh, had his thumb severed uh, one afternoon at our house when a door slammed. And uh, that's kind of a freak out moment for a dad. Run upstairs, and I got our, our, our uh, North African neighbor upstairs. Hey, we need to go to the emergency room right now. You don't call the ambulance in North Africa. Uh, and so he drives up his car, we jump in, we go to the emergency room. And we're up there uh, in North Africa. You call the doctor and wait for him to show up. And we're up there walking around, and I'm just praying over my son and singing over him. And, um, 
and my neighbor is, is, is looking at the hospital and there's a sign on the wall that says, if you don't pay this much money, we will not resuscitate you if you go into a cardiac arrest. And he's grieved. He's looking at this hospital in his nation and he's like, this isn't right. This is so screwed up. And this family comes in and, and they're, they're holding their son and their son is limp, just almost dead looking. Their, their infant son. And I'm holding my son with a severed thumb hanging by a shred, right? And I'm watching this family. And, and my neighbor, is, he's kind of in this place of feeling so offended at the brokenness of his, of his own culture. And he, he looks at this family, he's like, and look at these guys. They're poor people from the village. Who's even going to see them here? There's no way they have enough money to even go to this hospital. I can't stand this country. Throwing up his hands. And in that moment, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And what is conviction? Conviction is when God says, you're here, I want to take you here. Or when God says, you're doing this and feeling this right now, I want to take you right over here. And so what did I feel like God said to do? I felt like God said, take your wallet out, give it to your neighbor, and tell him to go, take, go do whatever he can for that family. I said, hey, this is your culture. I can handle it from here. You, I just need you to drive to the hospital. I want you to take this wallet. I, oh, today the rent was due, so I want you to take this wallet. It's full of my cash. Do whatever you can for that family. I was like, you speak this, you speak this language. You're, you're as educated as anyone in our city. See what you can do. And he's like, let's do it. And so I'm standing there with my son who from his infancy, we believe God was saying he'd be a redeemer. And I'm watching it happen. And in this crazy circumstance where his thumb is getting cut off, God is doing something. But what had to happen was being sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're feeling like the Holy Spirit is convicting you to do something, here's a couple simple guidelines for you. One, is it biblical? And if you feel like the Spirit's convicting you to destroy the city of Nineveh, is it New Testament biblical, okay? Two, is it the same shape as Jesus? Is it the kind of thing he would say, the kind of thing he would do, the kind of thing that he would express to people? And three, Man, if you're married, you know that this is the most important one. If you don't understand if it's God or not, ask somebody. Ask somebody that you trust. Ask somebody who's mature. Because sometimes they'll tell you that you're freaking yourself out and it'll be true. And sometimes they'll tell you that this is what God has for you. And it'll be something they can pray for you for. And so as we begin to move into response time, if you brought your journal today, this is your lucky day. Because I want to invite you to open up that journal and say, Lord... What is the conviction that you want to bring into my heart? Where are you taking me from here to here? What is the conviction that you're doing? To be imagining yourself in Acts 2 today and thinking, what is it that the Holy Spirit would take me from? But I also want to, want to invite you guys as we sit in our response time to think, is there something of the activity of the Holy Spirit? And I don't really care what you do or don't do. But is there something that the Spirit has for you today as one of these gifts that you hunger for? Today is an opportunity to get it. And, and again, if you're looking for more of the Holy Spirit and you'd like someone to pray for you, you can come up at, during our response time. There will be people up front on the prayer team. And they're not going to put their hand on your head and blah, 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 do some kind of crazy, aggressive TV show, Holy Spirit pressure moment. They're going to say, hey, what can I pray for you for? And they're going to pray their hearts out. They're not just going to take it easy on you. But they're going to, they're going to let you come to, come to the Holy Spirit today on your terms. So I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, you said that it would be better. You said that it would be better 
Jesus, you said that it would be better. How often have we longed that you would physically come? How often have we longed that you would return to this broken world full of poisonous human systems, God? How long have we begged that you would come? But you said it was better that the Holy Spirit be poured out. You said it was better that we be filled with your Spirit. So today we honor and lift up the Spirit of God. You will not be an unsung hero in our midst today. Spirit of God, we honor you. We respect your activity. We love you and we see you as beautiful today. Would you come and meet with us? We long for you and we hunger for you. Would you come and meet with your people? We are desperate for you, Spirit of God. Amen.